The Granzadillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Hello and welcome. My name is Rick Gibson, and I'm the Associate Vice President for Public Affairs here at Pepperdine University. And I'm joined today by Dr. Linda Livingstone, who's the Dean of the Grazadillo School of Business and Management. Hello, Linda. Good morning, Rick. It's good to be here. Well, it has been an exciting year. I believe this is the fourth year of the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. Is that right? It is, and we have had a fabulous four years and are off to a great start this year. So far, we've uh, spoken to Deborah Platt-Majoris and Andy Bird, and and today uh, you're going to sit down with Bruce Rosenblum. Can you tell us a little bit about Bruce? Certainly. Bruce is the president of Warner Brothers Television Group, and in that capacity, he really manages their portfolio of television businesses worldwide, and it includes both distribution and broadcasting. And in addition to that, he's really helping Warner Brothers develop new models for how they evolve television in this new technology digital age. So it's a really fascinating discussion about some of the cutting-edge things going on in the entertainment industry. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. Well, uh, with that, let me invite our listeners to sit back and enjoy this interview with Bruce Rosenblum, president of Warner Brothers Television Group. Well, in our podcast today, we have with us Bruce Rosenblum, who is the president of Warner Brothers Television Group. And Bruce is uh, managing the company's portfolio of television businesses, including their worldwide production, distribution, and broadcasting. And they have been working on developing new business models for the evolving television landscape. So we're going to spend a little bit of time with him on this podcast discussing that. So, Bruce, it is a pleasure to have you with us for this discussion. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, why don't you begin by talking uh, with our audience a little bit about what you do? I mean, what is the scope of the work you do at Warner Brothers Television and uh, some of the key areas that you're focusing on right now? Uh, I, I'm responsible for overseeing and, and managing our, our various television businesses. Um, we operate three television production uh, arms, Warner Brothers Television, which is primarily responsible for the production of primetime programming for the broadcast networks, uh, as well as basic cable uh, programs and uh, and reality program, non-scripted programming, which we do through a, a, a small label called Warner Horizon. We also uh, oversee Telepictures Productions, which is responsible for producing uh, first-run syndicated television programs like uh, The Ellen DeGeneres Show, The Tyra Banks Show, Extra, uh, People's Court, uh, Judge Mathis, those kinds of shows. And then I oversee Warner Brothers Animation, uh, which produces animated programming um, primarily for currently Kids WB uh, on the CW network and also for, for the Cartoon Network. Um, then we, we oversee uh, both domestic and international distribution of all of our television product to television clients, uh, as well as our theatrical product, distribution of our theatrical product to television clients, uh, both here in the United States and around the world. And then Warner Brothers is a uh, partner with CBS in the CW broadcast network, which was uh, the result of the marriage of of the WB and UPN about 18 months ago. Um, So I oversee our 50% interest along with with, uh, Barry Meyer in the CW. And then finally, each of our our television divisions are are actively involved in both distributing content 
uh, in broadband and wireless, as well as producing original content for broadband. So it's a, it's a fairly diverse um, and, and broad-based um, array of television assets, and then that dovetails into the, the overall Warner Brothers asset play of, of theatrical content, um, consumer products, home video, um, and, and, and all the various components of, of Warner Brothers um, outside of the television group. You have been in the with Warner Brothers for about 21, 21 years, years, I believe, yeah. believe, and you were an entertainment attorney Correct. Uh, prior to that. So you've been in entertainment for a long time. And so you've seen it evolve a lot, particularly the television side of the industry. So what have been the most significant changes to that part of the entertainment world? And what do you see as the most significant uh, changes that you anticipate in the future, the most significant factors that are going to influence what happens with your part of the entertainment world in the years ahead? Um, While there's been a a lot of evolution in the television business over the last 20 years, the last 24 months have certainly been the most um, dramatic changes to our business, and that's all driven, of course, by technology. That's all driven by broadband and by wireless and and the worldwide ability to to distribute content outside of the traditional forms of of broadcast networks and and, and television stations. And I think what what you'll see um, each of, of us who are involved in the in the manufacturing of content and the distribution of content ha- have to do is is react to those technological changes and the, and, and the primary influence um, that's been changed is that as a distributor or aggregator of content you no longer can can control how the consumer um, watches your programming the the, the technology that, that's evolved in the last 24 months has has enabled the consumer to make the decision about how they want to consume content, how, when, and where they want to consume content. And and that's providing some some very meaningful and and um, and interesting challenges for all of us who 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 uh, are in the business of manufacturing content, which is how do you now deal in, a, in, a, in an environment where the consumer is so empowered? Um, and whether you're a broadcast network, a television station, a manufacturer of content, a writer, a director, a producer, you have to now face a, an environment where the consumer is in charge. And, and how we all address those, those dramatic changes that are taking place will, will uh, decide whether we're successful or not successful as we proceed over the next five to ten years. The technology has certainly made the ways in which people can access your content change, but it's also opened up opportunities for other people to create content more easily than they could and to deliver that content. So how do you, in your business, maintain the uh, expertise and the quality of content that will make people want to keep coming back to what you do versus all the different ways they can access content online that are certainly much less professionally done, but sometimes quite interesting in what they come up with. Well, you're right. I mean, up, up, up until recently, there have been um, gatekeepers in all of our mm-hmm. businesses, whether it was the theatrical business and the gatekeepers were the, the, the theaters, whether it was the radio business. Um, certainly the television business had its gatekeepers um, with, with, with both the broadcast stations, but primarily the broadcast networks determined what what the consumer ultimately was able to to see in the form of television. Um, broadband and wireless have, have eliminated, in many respects, the hurdle of a gatekeeper. Um, a, a, as I'll say in a couple, in, a, in 30 minutes or so in my, in my presentation, all you have to do now is type in YouTube.com and you can disseminate content. Um, and while we like to think that we have four or five primary competitors, in, in the manufacturing of television, in, in reality now, our, our competitive um, 
the, the competitive pool has expanded to include, you know, four kids who are sitting on a college campus somewhere, whether it's in Malibu or, or in Columbus, Ohio, who can manufacture content and get it broadly distributed. Um, where we think the studio system maintains an advantage is, is in a couple of different areas. One is in um, a, a, a certain expertise in episodic storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot underestimate the complexity of telling great stories. And it's not simply sitting down and, and, and writing great stories, which in and of itself is a very, very important skill set, but it's it's the entire manufacturing process from the from the director to the to the writer to the actors to the performers to the to the the um, technical people who actually work on the stages. These are very, very um, talented people who've worked many, many years to build that skill set to be able to tell uh, an episodic story over a 22-episode arc or a 44 or 88-episode arc. Um, so we have that that heritage of, of, of episodic storytelling. We have the scale to um, compete in this space, both from a, a dollar standpoint but also from a human resources standpoint. Um, we have a library of content that enables us to find ideas to build content off of. And we have a, a fairly fine-tuned worldwide distribution infrastructure that today is designed to distribute content to, to broadcast and cable um, systems, but can be easily adapted to, to distribute content for broadband and wireless. So while um, it, it, it's clear that the number of competitors has escalated, um, we're, we're confident that our skill sets and our, and our heritage of being able to tell stories will ultimately um, find its place in, in, in the new media space, that there will ultimately be a, a business model that evolves around the creation of original content for broadband, whether that's primarily an advertiser-supported model or, or a pay-per-view. We believe it will ultimately be an advertiser-supported model, but a business model will evolve. And, and an infrastructure like a Warner Brothers or like a 20th Century Fox or like a Paramount or like a Disney is best equipped to um, monetize those um, experiences when they are successful. And, and I think that's what will give us a, 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 head, a head start as we proceed in the next five to ten years to, to expand in these areas. At the core of that is the the story Absolutely. and writing the story. So we're obviously right now as we do this uh, taping in the middle of the writer's strike. And so that certainly is a core part of creating that content. And, and I know because we're in the middle of that, uh, there's certainly limits to what you can talk about in the context of that. But what what do you see as the key issues there that brought us to this point where we're involved in the strike? And what are some of the sort of key factors moving forward that – you think will move us to a point of moving out of that and, and back to kind of the, the business of the day? Well, I can hit the second part of that first, which is we are, we are attempting aggressively to move out of, out of the stalemate that we've been in. Um, we will begin um, informal conversations the next 24 to 48 hours. We're, we're certainly encouraged by our ability to uh, relatively quickly put together a, a deal with the Directors Guild, and we are hopeful that the experience that we had and that, that everyone had putting together the deal with the Directors Guild will, will, will positively transfer to our upcoming conversations with the writers and that we'll be able to, to put this together. Because no, nobody wants to, to be in a, in a work stoppage. It's not good sure. for anybody. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a you know, 
really difficult time for everybody in, in, in our business, and we're hopeful we can get through this as, as quickly as possible. The, the primary issues that, that led us to, to where we are um, revolve around what we just talked about, which is, is the uncertainty of, of new media, mm-hmm. the uncertainty of the new technology and what, what it's going to mean for, for our business as we go forward. Um, the, the members of, of the creative community want to ensure that they will participate in some fashion as um, content is distributed in, in new media, as, as the television business potentially evolves from one where you watch content on a television screen to one where you watch content on a computer screen. Um, I, I, I think that we were very successful in a, in a relatively short period of time addressing these, these issues with the Directors Guild. Um, the, 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 you know, there's a handful of, of fairly high-profile issues. One is, um, what is, what is the participation the creative community gets when content is downloaded um, for ownership uh, to the consumer, whether it's theatrical or television content. The second issue is when when content is streamed on the Internet in an advertiser-supported model, how will the creative community participate in the incremental revenue that's generated from from that streaming? Um, A third is what is um, the jurisdiction of the various guilds relative to original production for broadband because it's, it, it's clear that, that we're going to need to find a different price point, a different economic model to produce original content. So at what point in that economic spectrum um, should that work product be covered by guild agreements, whether it's the Directors Guild, the Writers Guild, or, or the Screen Actors Guild? Um, so those are the primary mm-hmm. issues that we're wrestling with. The compromises were achieved with the Directors Guild. And again, we're hopeful that, that we'll be able to translate those compromises into a, a, a similarly successful uh, negotiation with the writers. Let's step back from that just a little bit and from a, a more strategic level, not necessarily related specifically to this strike, but just in terms of business more generally. When you're faced with a situation like this, it has impact on business continuation and your ability to kind of function as, as normal. And it might be a strike in some businesses. We've certainly seen natural disasters cause the same challenges in terms of businesses continuing operations through their normal way. So as the as a, a leader in an organization, how do you prepare your organization sort of from a risk assessment perspective to prepare for uh, significant impacts like this uh, on your business so that you can continue to operate as normal as possible while you manage through a challenging circumstance? Well, it, it, it's, a, it's trite to say, but you always, you know, you, you hope for the best and you plan for the worst. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think all of us... Um, while we, we certainly did everything we could to, to avoid the work stoppage, certainly we're well prepared um, because there were enough smoke signals sent mm-hmm. up that, that this was coming, that, that it didn't come as a surprise, you know, around Halloween time. Um, what you do is you, um, to the extent possible, we accelerated the manufacturing of our content as, as, as much as possible. That, that, that was, there was limited ability to do that, but where you could, you accelerated your, your production process. Um, and, and you prepared your employees for the possibility that um, there would be a work stoppage, that they would need to um, take all the mitigation steps they could to, to eliminate as much cost um, during the work stoppage as possible, um, that they would uh, find this opportunity of time to, to look at alternative business models and, and alternative business opportunities for us. Um, you know, we, we, we certainly continue to do everything we can to protect our workforce from, from the, the, um, the human effect of, of a work stoppage. We're trying to maintain as, as, as much of our workforce as we can through the work stoppage. Um, 
But when you're in the production of television um, as, a, as, a, as your core business and you're unable to produce content, there's, there's going to be meaningful impact. Mm-hmm. Now, where it did not impact us is on the distribution side of our business. We are continuing to distribute content both domestically and around the world on a, on a daily basis. Um, we are pursuing our first-run syndication business, um, which is traditionally not covered by, by uh, Writers Guild agreements. Um, our animation business is proceeding, and, and um, our new media business is proceeding. But when you're in the business of producing primetime shows for network television and you can't do that, there's going to be impact. Let's talk a little bit about the global piece of what you do, because that certainly has changed a lot as mm-hmm. well, and there's certainly developing new avenues. How do you approach your international business differently or similar to what you're doing domestically, and where do you see the greatest opportunities there, and how are you approaching those? Well, the last five or six years has been a, a, a quite a positive time for us in the distribution of, of domestic television content around the world. This is, this is a result of a handful of things. One, um, the, 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 the weakening dollar, um, while it's not good news here in the United States, is at a, a positive impact when you're, when you're exporting um, content around the world and, and the value of our content increases um, in the local territories mm-hmm. based on a, a, on a weakening dollar. Number two, the, the escalation of competitive um, buyers for our content around the world also helps drive pricing up. So as, as there's more buyers both financed and, and authorized around the world, that allows for an increased, um, you know, increased, increased demand, obviously increases, increases pricing. Um, one of the, while, while we have a challenge here in the United States where, where production costs have escalated dramatically on our, our one-hour dramas as a result of, of competition and, and the consumer's appetite for much larger, bigger-budgeted programs, um, where programs like Lost, programs like Prison Break, programs um, like... Um, Sarah Connor Chronicles or, or Pushing Daisies, which we produce, um, the, the offshoot of that is that our product is being better received internationally because it's, it, it stands out more. The local product can't compete with the price points that we're producing content at. So that's helped uh, as well. So we, we, we're finding greater demand for our product internationally. We're also looking to um, extend, expand our business uh, by producing local language content in 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 the local territories, you'll see us grow the the local language production side of our business. Um, and as um, technology is is impacting the business here domestically, it the accelerated pace with with which technology is impacting our international business is, is even greater. Um, the the ability to distribute content through new media around the world is four steps ahead of where it is in the United States. So we are keeping pace with that. We're finding new ways to distribute our content through new, through new media technologies around the world. And I think you'll see an expanding presence of our content taking advantage um, of these new media opportunities. And that, that so those two things are the biggest growth opportunity for us, local language production and uh, new media distribution of our content around the world. What regions around the world seem to be the best markets for you right now in terms of doing well, that? Well, that, that really hasn't changed. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it's really the, 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 the core big markets, mm-hmm. which, is, which is the U.K., it's France, it's Germany, Germany it's Italy, um, it's, it's Latin America. You know, that, that's um, the, the, the biggest pieces of our international puzzle, and, and for the foreseeable future, that won't change. I know there was an agreement uh, fairly recently with the Abu Dhabi Media Company. Does that impact you? That much, or is that uh, 
with different parts of the entertainment group and yeah, it, do, it doesn't dramatic. It, it doesn't um, specifically impact Warner Brothers Television. It's mm-hmm. a very, very important and and forward thinking deal for for Warner mm-hmm. Brothers as a company, and we're all very, very excited about our relationship with with that um, deal. Um, it's primarily though a theatrical. Uh, uh, theme park and uh, games driven deal not a, not a television deal that doesn't mean that at some point in our relationship it can translate into a television deal but the the first steps we're taking are, are in the games um, theme park and, and theatrical side of our businesses I'm going to switch gears a little bit as we uh, move towards the conclusion of our discussion today and talk a little bit about just your evolution as a leader uh, <laughs> while you've been at Warner Brothers and Tell me a little bit about um, how you feel like you have evolved and changed as a leader, things you've learned because of your experiences that um, have strengthened you in what you're doing. Many would argue I haven't evolved. (laughs) Well, Um, we'll assume that you have. And I I have a 20-year-old and a 16-year-old who would both tell you that I clearly have not evolved. We have children Um, to um, keep us humble, I'm convinced. (laughs) So I I disagree with your your assumption, but but for the moment, I'll play with it. Um, the, The best um, advice that my boss has given me in in transitioning to the role that I've played now for the last seven or eight years is to um, effectively delegate, is to hire the, the, the strongest, the most talented um, executives around you that you can. Don't be afraid to um, put people in places of, of significant authority around you that can ultimately take your job. Um, that you need to not surround yourself with a bunch of yes people, but you want to surround yourself with people who will give you conflicting opinions and counter opinions, um, but who will then, once you make a decision, mm-hmm. trust your decision and, and walk out the door and, and be a team and, and follow that decision. Um, and to inform, to, to always make sure that, that, that your team knows what you're thinking, knows what the strategy is, um, and and feels empowered to do what they do best. Um, I, I clearly know what my limitations are. Um, I know my strengths and I know my limitations. And um, I, I'm fortunate to work with a team of very, very talented executives who more than offset my weaknesses. Um, and I trust them and I delegate to them. And while I'm responsible for, for watching the, the, the bigger picture, so to speak, um, I know to, to get out of the way and, and let them do their thing and, and, and ultimately make, make all of us look good and make the company look good. And I would have to agree, finding the right leadership team to work with is huge and, and really important to the success of a leader. So how do you go about finding those people? Because it's easy to make mistakes in doing that, and we all have uh, in our lives as leaders. But how do you find the right people? How do you know when it's the right person well, for you? I think it's two things. I think one is finding or two is nurturing and growing. Um, you know, I, I, and our team in particular, um, we have a blend of both. Um, there's several senior level executives who I've worked with for, for all 20 years that I've been at the studio um, who have grown up with me and who have taken on more responsibility along the way and, and who have been been trained um, to think, you know, along the same kind of lines about about ethics, business ethics, and priorities, and 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 right from wrong, and then and then you always are keeping your eyes open for um, people you deal with at your competitors who are really really good at what they do, and when the appropriate time comes, you you jump. Um, but I'm I'm a firm believer in 
not every environment's right for every executive. And while I've certainly, you know, done a, 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 a good job at Warner Brothers, I'm not sure I would have succeeded as well in certain other environments, uh, in certain other entertainment companies. And similarly, people who have done well at other entertainment companies probably would not have done as well within our environment. So it's also matching personality, matching ethics, matching um, work drive to the, to the environment that, that we present. So it's, it's as much about finding talented people as it is about finding people who will work well together. And what, one of the things I'm, I'm proud of is that at, at Warner Brothers, and particularly at the television side of our company, um, we've got a group of people who all work very, very well together and, and complement each other and bring complementary skill sets. And, and that teamwork and that, that team effort um, really enables us to, to move forward and, 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 and drive together in these, in these challenging times and, and look at the, the changing landscape that we're facing and, and, and work towards finding common solutions for those problems. And I think that's, that's the biggest positive that, I, that I've come away with in my 20 years is putting together a, a team of people who work really, really well mm-hmm. together. It makes it great fun to go to work when you work with a group of people like that as well. That is true. Last thing I want to ask you uh, as we kind of conclude here is uh, we have a ton of alums and students who are in the entertainment industry or are interested in being in the entertainment industry. And clearly that's a very broad industry. But are there particular skills that might be most valuable in in that world uh, that they should be focusing on trying to develop or knowledge base that are particularly important uh, in that industry? Having only worked in this business for 21 years and not having worked in a lot of other industries, I'm not probably the right person to answer that question. However, um, some of the important skills that that I find more successful executives have than not are people skills, ability to get along with with others, um, ability to listen and not necessarily always be the, the, the smartest guy in the room or smartest woman in the room, but the real successful ones do have a very strong business business ethic. And um, we, we work in a business uh, unlike many others. Um, we work in a business where you rarely get contracts signed, and it's one where your word needs to stand up, mm-hmm. and your reputation, once colored, will, is really hard to get back. And, and when I deal with people who come to the company as a you know, in their first couple years of their career, I often have to, to say, you know, be careful. Don't, don't, do, don't do something that's going to stick with you for a very long time. Because if, if you tell somebody you're going to do something, you better do it. And um, when you need to turn to a contract to resolve a problem, it's too late. Mm-hmm. And we, we abide by handshakes. We abide by the word. We abide by, you know, informal agreements. And, and while that's very different in most industries, um, it takes somebody with a very strong business ethic to survive. And, and that would be, you know, the one piece of advice. Well, it's good to know there are still places where a handshake is a, a good enough agreement to get work done on. And, and I would say I don't think those are inconsistent qualities from what I hear from a lot of people in very different industries than you're a part of. And certainly consistent, I think, with what we're trying to do and the way we develop leaders here in the business school and certainly more broadly at Pepperdine. So, Bruce, it has been a real pleasure visiting with you. And we are so pleased to have you here as part of our Dean's Executive Leadership Series. So thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Well, that concludes our interview with Bruce Rosenblum. Uh, Linda, what an insightful interview.
It was very interesting hearing Bruce talk about what's going on, not only at Warner Brothers Television Group, but really some of the interesting issues going on as television has changed so much and become so much more competitive with the addition of cable and all the online uh, competition. So I think our listeners uh, really enjoyed what he had to say and will find it very interesting for them. I'm sure that's right. Well, tell us about who is next in the lineup. We will have Robert Eckert, the chairman and CEO of Mattel Incorporated, with us on Tuesday, March 4th for the Dean's Executive Leadership Series in Malibu. And then we will also have a podcast associated with that. So I expect that will be quite fascinating given all of the challenges that Mattel has been facing recently. Well, we look forward to visiting with them and visiting with you again. And we want to invite our listeners to visit our website at bschool.pepperdine.edu slash Dells. That's D-E-L-S. And we thank you for listening. Why is Pepperdine University's Grazio Dio School of Business and Management considered the smart way for working professionals to earn an MBA? Well, first and foremost, Forbes magazine ranks Pepperdine's fully employed MBA program among the top 20 business schools for return on investment. So financially, it's very smart. And Pepperdine's program is built around real-world curriculum, not just theory, so students can apply what they learn in class at the workplace the next day. So now, does earning an MBA from one of the most highly regarded business schools in the world sound like a smart move to you? Then call 1-800-933-3333 for more information. That's 1-800-933-3333. Pepperdine University's prestigious Grazio Dio School of Business and Management. The smart business decision. And Pepperdine also offers a top-ranked executive MBA program.